Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, so we are continuing the topic on the sovereignty of God. And by the way, this is the 400th year anniversary of the Synod of Dort. The Synod of Dort? That sounds weird. What's the, we'll go to the, the scholar among us. What is the Synod of Dort, Pastor Phil? <laughs> uh, the Synod of Dort was a uh, convocation of uh, Reformed church leaders. Uh, that uh, came together uh, to respond to uh, the teaching that became known as Arminianism, uh, that put the emphasis, total emphasis, on on free will of human beings, and 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 also that human beings really aren't all, aren't really all that bad. You know, we're we're sinful, but you know, we still have the capacity to. Well, you know, the Bible teaches that we are dead in our sin, and uh, that had been the teaching. That's the teaching of the Christian church going back to the New Testament and in the early centuries of the church. It was recovered in the Reformation. And the, anyway, the Synod of Dort 400 years ago was a response to Arminianism that said, no, we, you know, we, we're lost and dead in our sin and, and salvation is all of God's doing. And, and uh, anyway, so then it became that document came handed down through the Reformed churches, particularly the Dutch Reformed, and brought to this country with the, the Dutch Reformed Christians. And uh, still isn't that treasured. We, isn't that where we got the acrostic tulip? But it was olip. Is that what you said first? Oltip. Oltip yeah, okay. first. Yeah, tulip. And and we often get reformed. Often get associated with tulip. We sh- we should remember that the acronym tulip uh, is of twentieth century origin. Um, it's slightly misleading because some of the some of the letters are chosen to fit the acronym rather than to fit the doctrine. Um, and maybe this, we're getting too arcane here, but um, but let's do remember that the the Synod of Dort and its five affirmations were written to respond to a particular theological crisis in the church at a particular time in history four hundred years ago, and they're still relevant today. Yeah, but it's not the Synod of Dort and, and Tulip is not a comprehensive statement of Reformed theology or of biblical theology. Well, that's what I would want to stress, that there's a reason why there's five points of Calvinism, and it's not because Calvinists actually said, we believe in five points. Yes. It, it just happened to be that there were five challenges to doctrine at that time that those Reformers are those church members of the day. They wouldn't even necessarily be called themselves Reformers. Um, responded to those five challenges to what was commonly held beliefs. And then, therefore, going forward, because we're so simplistic, people were like, see, Calvinists believe in five points. Um, But if you would go to the writings of John Calvin, most of these points wouldn't be tackled until you get to volume two of his work, book three and four of Calvin's writings. So if they were that important to the Reformers, um, somebody forgot to tell John Calvin – 
um, because it, <laughs> yes. that, all of these yes. things come much later. So it's overly simplistic to say I'm a five point Calvinist. You will never hear me say that. I believe in those five points, but I'm like a 25 point Calvinist. Yeah. Um, you are so serious. <laughs> And I think most reformers or Calvinists would say the same thing, right. that these are just right. part of what they believe. They in no way, shape, or form are the totality of their belief system. But by, by the way, and, and uh, I just made a little note here to myself, because some people may not know the original TULIP. It's total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And somebody just recently uh, said, and I, I, I picked this up on a Facebook meme, so I know it's true. Um, <laughs> Do you now, even know what Facebook is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my son shows it to me every now and then. No, I know. I actually, uh, my son says it's for old people like me. But um, anyway, somebody has proposed a new tulip for young Calvinists, and I really like it. Total humility. Unconditional kindness, limited criticism, irresistible graciousness, and perseverance in patience. That's good. Okay, so why we even bring this up? Well, um, because we've gotten questions from our listeners that want to know deep theological questions like this next one, which is this. How could Adam have free will in the garden if God is not sovereign? Because I think that's often the challenge that comes against uh, Reformed theology that we, we don't believe that men have a free will, that, that, that men are just robots. So there's the question. How could Adam have free will in the garden if God is sovereign? It goes back at least in part to what we've been talking about the last couple of days, that um, God being sovereign does not mean that man has no autonomy, that man still does make free decisions based upon the desires of their heart, based upon their affections, based upon what they would deem to be best. Um, and so Adam, unlike us, actually has a greater free will than we have um, because, because of his sin, we have a damaged will. We have a will that's in bondage to sin. So if you um, think about it, our wills as fallen human beings can only choose so far, but we can never choose God because we would never want to choose God. So our wills are bound by our hatred of God, where Adam's will was completely unbounded because he didn't have a sinful nature. And so he actually could choose God to love God, to serve God, to live with God, or he could choose to rebel. Um, but in order for that to happen, he had to have something come from outside of himself to make him desire something other than God. Yeah. And that's what the serpent did in the garden. So it, in Romans 3, so I, I, I kind of want to take a little bit of time and debunk that whole idea. It, it's, it's called, it has a name. It's called libertarian free will. Um, and it, it is a philosophy, and it basically says that man um, – can choose or choose otherwise in any kind of given situation. And so that's the philosophy. But let's see. Like I, I love your spirit on the, on the show so far, Ben, because you keep on saying, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Here's what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 3, it's going to address our nature very specifically. And it says this. Um, Paul says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. So that's speaking to our mind. 
No one seeks for God. That's speaking to our affections, our heart. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's speaking to our will. So right there, Paul has this comprehensive view on human nature. He takes our thinking, our feeling, and our doing, and he says all of those things compose of your nature, and your nature is entirely enslaved to sin. So here's the question. When, when, When this idea of libertarian free will comes up that says we can choose or choose otherwise, it totally neglects the the fact that we are we we begin in a sinful nature. Yeah. And the Bible tells us what the sinful nature wants. What does the sinful nature wants? It wants to rule itself, it wants to worship itself, it wants to do everything to get away from God. And that kind of nature doesn't freely love God, doesn't freely choose God, doesn't freely choose to want to be near God. It rebels against God at every point. And so the question is, is then what is the right will of, or what is the right view of the will according to the Bible and according to the way that we would think about it? Well, here it is. We always choose our highest desire. In every single case, we always choose our highest desire. Do you guys agree with that or disagree? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good statement. Um, and I would add to it a, a couple of things. Um, getting as we've been underlining here, and and Ben has been reminding us over and over again: What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? The Bible does not teach the freedom of the will. Libertarian, what did you call it? Free will, libertarian. Libertarian free will, free will teaches that uh, the, a humanistic uh, worldview teaches freedom of the will. The Bible doesn't just plain doesn't teach it. Uh, the Bible teaches the bondage of the will. That my will is held captive to sin. Paul says this over and over again. That, that we, apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin. Uh, That's speaking to our nature. Yes. And so I, I don't believe in the bondage of the will because I want to. I really don't want to. <laughs> the, the fleshly part of me would much rather believe in free will. Uh, but the Bible teaches that my will is in bondage to sin. It teaches it over and over again. And what's more, once you accept that and your eyes are open to it, look around at the world and look at world history. Oh, my word, do you still believe in freedom of the will? If human beings could have got this thing together, we would have had it together a long time ago. Yeah. And even, even God, so that idea of libertarian free will, even God doesn't have that kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. Because God can't kick Jesus out of the Trinity. Right. God can't stop being truthful and loving and holy and 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 all of those other attributes that are his incommunicable attributes. In other words, God can't choose against his nature. That's in the Bible. Second Timothy two thirteen it says God is faithful, he cannot deny himself. And so this this idea of the will that's that's like hypothesized today, it's it's simply not a biblical idea. And I think what what you were saying about you know, the fact that we're in bondage Bible clearly teaches that, but that does not then therefore imply coercion. Nobody right. is saying, right. I really don't want to sin. I really don't want to <laughs> sin, but okay, I'm going to sin. You know, uh, Ephesians 2 paints that picture of, of bondage. You were dead in the trespass, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We're as sinners, we're doing what we want. Yes, absolutely. And we, so we're not being forced into that, but at the same time, that there is a, a bondage there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the best I've ever heard it talked about is from one of my um, seminary professors, and he said, take a piece of paper and have it be uh, on landscape and then draw a, a line um, down the, the piece of paper. And, and really those that are unsaved are those on the left-hand side of the, of the paper. They have a free will up until they hit the line. Salvation is on the other side. They, they have free will. It's a, a choice to do whatever they want to do. But what they want to do is sin. Right. And so they're bounded by that, if you will, that line. What happens is that when the Spirit comes into the heart of one of these unconverted people and makes them alive, it's as if God removes the line because now what they desire is Christ. Yeah. They're, they're still choosing what they desire the most, what Josh was talking about earlier, but now their desires have changed. Yeah. The new birth. It, the new birth created a different affection. Now, what that happens is that as a Christian, unfortunately, I still have access to the left-hand side of the page. Mm-hmm. Right. There are times when I'm not truly living um, as I ought as a child of God, and my affections are mixed inside. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what I desire most is to please my Heavenly Father, and there are sometimes when my desire is to please my own earthly passions. Yeah. And so I still choose some things on the left-hand side of the page, but in the reality is I don't have any business being over there. Mm-hmm. Right. I really should be on the other side of the line. And the good news of the gospel is that someday those desires will be taken away. Amen. And that I I will no longer want to be on that side, and I no longer will choose to be on that side engaging in sinful behavior. And the pull of our flesh won't be pulling us. I'm really looking forward to that. Yes. To be delivered from the, the... presence of sin and into the presence of Christ. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We thank you for listening today. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, we would love it. Just go to the iTunes store and type in The Gospel for Life. Please remember to keep Pastor Jonathan in your prayers as he's battling colon cancer. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.